Good evening. Welcome to worship. Welcome guests and visitors. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 23, verses 4 through 6. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Our scripture reading this evening comes from Nehemiah 10, verses 28 through 31, and then also from Nehemiah 13, verses 15 to 22. First Nehemiah 10, verse 28 to 31. Nehemiah takes place uh, after the captivity in Babylon. The people, many of the people have returned to Jerusalem. The temple has been rebuilt. The walls of Jerusalem have been rebuilt. Uh, the people have now heard the law of God being read. And here we see their response to hearing the law for many of them for the first time. And the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the the Nethanims, and all they that had separated themselves from the people of the lands unto the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding, they clave to their brethren their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his judgments and his statutes, and that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. And if the people of the land bring where or any victuals on the Sabbath day to sell, that we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath or on the, on the holy day, and that we would leave the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. Of every debt. Now turn with me, please, to chapter 13. Chapter 13. And we'll read from verses 15 to 22. And those days saw I, this is Nehemiah, in Judah, some treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves and lading asses as also wine, grapes and figs and all manner of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I testified against them in the day wherein they sold victuals. There dwelt men of Tyre also therein, which brought fish and all manner of ware, and sold on the Sabbath unto the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said unto them, What evil thing is this that ye do and profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers thus, and did not our God bring all this evil upon us and upon this city? Yet ye bring more wrath upon Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And it came to pass that when the gates of Jerusalem began to be dark before the Sabbath, I commanded that the gates should be shut and charged that they should not be opened till after the Sabbath. And some of my servants set I at the gates that there should be no burden be brought in on the Sabbath day. So the merchants and sellers of all kind of ware lodged without Jerusalem once or twice. Then I testified against them and said unto them, Why lodge ye about the wall? If ye do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time forth came they no more on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should come and keep the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of thy mercy. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Is it possible to be a Christian 
and not go to church. Well, there's a trend in American Christianity, and we see that reflected in in the statistics. 63% of Americans profess to be Christians. Of that 63%, 58% of evangelicals and 39% of Roman Catholics attend church at least once per week. So if you take the reverse of those percentages, you will see that there is a fairly large percentage of people who say they're Christians, people who profess to be Christians, who don't go to church. So is it possible to be a Christian and and not go to church? We know what it says in Hebrews, that we ought not to forsake the assembling of, of ourselves together. Is church attendance a requirement to enter heaven? Well, R.C. Sproul says, in a very technical sense, the answer to that question is no. So yes, it is possible. It is possible for a believer to never attend church and yet go to heaven. I would say that it would be very, very rare, though. This is possible, but it can only be due to extenuating circumstances in someone's life. They're unable to attend church. They're shut in. They're, there's no church where they live. Or it's the result of a Christian who is backslidden and is being disobedient. But yet, instead of this being a rare and unfortunate circumstance, it's, it's becoming a more normative practice, one that is ex- accepted among many Christians and even by their churches. One mainline Protestant church states, and I quoted this from their website, if a Christian is someone who is kind, caring, and keeps the basic ethical teachings of God and loves one's neighbor then the answer could be no, one does not have to go to church. So they're saying if morally you're, you're pretty good, you don't need to go to church. It certainly seems that as Christians in this country and Christians around the world, we're greatly neglecting the Lord's Day. We're neglecting to keep it holy, and the inevitable result of that is we will stunt our spiritual growth. We are stunting our growth in grace. We are stunting our spiritual growth when we do not take advantage of the privilege, of the benefit that the Lord intends for us on His special day. And it hasn't taken long for us as Christians, as what used to be a Christian nation, to go from at least nominally or outwardly keeping the Lord's Day to neglecting it it altogether. It's not been that long since our society at large, at least outwardly, honored the Lord's Day. Stores were closed, the majority of people went to church, and Sunday was generally a day in which people rested. This has quickly changed over the last hundred years. And I'm not saying this, I'm not pointing the finger at our nation to say necessarily the old days are always better days. But I'm showing this to show that this is actually what happened here with these, these exiles. These returned exiles of Judah. They returned to the promised land They're rebuilding it. They've rebuilt the temple. They've rebuilt the city of Jerusalem. They've become reacquainted with God's law. And they've they've promised to keep God's law. They've promised to uphold and keep the fourth commandment. But we're going to see tonight that they quickly forget it. And they quickly return to their old ways. Our message this evening is titled, The Returned Remnant and the Lord's Rest. 
promising to rest is our first point. Refusing to rest is our second. And the third point is looking at the future rest. So let me take you all the way back to 444 BC, to the time when Nehemiah was sent to govern Jerusalem and rebuild the city. Ezra was the priest there. He was already there teaching the people. The temple had already been rebuilt some 70 years later. Nehemiah arrives. He rebuilds the wall. His political opposition has been overcome. And on the first day of the seventh month, the Feast of Trumpets was held. This was a day of of consecration and repentance, a day when the people of God dedicated themselves to the Lord. It was a special Sabbath day, a, a special day of rest given to them by the people of God. And during this time, so many centuries ago, Ezra took out the scroll, he took out the Torah, the law of God, the first five books of the Bible, and he read it to all the people that were gathered at Jerusalem. And the people heard it. For many of them, it was for the first time hearing it. And when they heard what the Lord required of them, when they heard what God's law was, they wept. We must realize at this time that people didn't have books like we did. They didn't have tablets like like we do. Most people probably didn't know how to read. And so it was a special event when, when a priest, when Ezra took out this, this scroll, this rare book that was very expensive and unrolled it and read it to these people. Like I said, for many of them, this was the first time they heard it. And when the people heard the law being read, for many were new exiles that had returned. They realized that they were not keeping God's law. They realized that they had been disobeying the Lord and they wept. And this is what Nehemiah, Ezra, and the Levites said to the people. They said, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Be quiet. For this day is holy. Do not be grieved. This was on the Feast of Trumpets. This was a holy day. This was a special day of rest, a special Sabbath instituted by the Lord himself. And on this day, when the people are confronted with their sin, they weep over it. They repent because of it. And what is the response of Nehemiah? What is the response of Ezra and the Levites? They tell them to celebrate. They tell them to feast, for this day is holy to the Lord. They tell them to rejoice, for the joy of the Lord is their strength. To stop weeping and grieving, but to rest in the Lord. Is this because the Lord didn't want their repentance? Was this because their repentance wasn't genuine or wasn't necessary for their sins? No, we'll see you, if you look, you will see a few verses later, this is in Nehemiah 8, that they did repent. They did repent. Nehemiah isn't telling them that the repentance are wrong or not wanted. There will, in fact, be a dedicated time for this later. But because this is a special day of the Lord, he's calling these people who have repented of their sins, he's calling them to focus on the Lord, to be encouraged in who the Lord is, to find their strength in who God is. He's turning their attention away from themselves. 
from dwelling on their own sin. And he's directing them to focus on the Lord. To celebrate this fact they've just heard God's law for the first time. To celebrate that the Lord has revealed himself to them. That he is again offering his salvation to them. A few days later, the people again gather and they do repent of their sins. They remembered how the Lord led them so faithfully and how they rejected the Lord. And it was during this time that they swore an oath to always obey God's law. Specifically mentioning keeping the Sabbath day holy. We read this in, 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 in Nehemiah where it says... They clay, um, they entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe all and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his judgments and his statutes. And they promised, they swore that if the people of the land bring ware, that's goods, or any victuals, that's grain, on the Sabbath day to sell, that we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath or on the holy day, and that we would leave the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. These people, they swore now to keep the Sabbath laws. They swore to keep the weekly Sabbaths and let their fields rest and forgive every debt Every seven years. So in short, the people heard God's command to keep the Sabbath. They repented of their sin. And then they dedicated themselves to the service of the Lord. To the keeping of Sabbath rest. And when these returned exiles, when these Jews, when they heard the law being read... They heard the Sabbath laws. They heard the same Sabbath commandments that we hear in the Ten Commandments. The same commandments that we hear in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5. And what was required of them in the Fourth Commandment? Well, the requirements are identical to ours. They were not to work on the Sabbath and they were not to let anyone in their household, including animals, work either. Now, is this the extent of the fourth commandment? Don't work. As long as they didn't and as long as we don't work, we are keeping, are we keeping the fourth commandment? Well, if you look at it, there's a lot more to this commandment than not working. Please look with me at Exodus 20, verse 8. This commandment begins with the word, remember. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. The Lord wishes us, his people, he wishes us to remember the Sabbath day. He wants us to remember, to commemorate it, to remember this specific day that he gives us every week. This day is a day when we need to remember to keep it every week. The Lord's Day, the first day of the week for us us Christians, though, is not only a day to remember, a specific day to remember, but if you follow me, it's a day of remembrance as well. And if we look at both Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, we'll see why this is. Exodus 20 verse 11 ties the Sabbath day to creation. Ever wonder why there's few verses there about creation? Well, what the Lord is doing here, he's showing us that this day of rest is an ordinance that originates in creation. The Lord worked six days and rested the seventh day, and therefore we should as well. But there's more to this creation narrative than just showing us that. This word remember is is tied to it. We are to remember 
not only that this pattern that the Lord sets out for us, but we are to remember that the Lord is our creator. We are to remember that on the Lord's day that the Lord rules over all creation. He rules over us. He rules over everything. We are to remember that he created us on the sixth day and he gave us a Sabbath the very next day, a day where we, where we will be called to remember him, a day where we are called to worship him. This is a holy day. Every week, at the beginning of every week, that the Lord sets apart for us to remember his great works, to cease from all of our activity and rest in him. Now look with me at Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy 5, verse 15. There's, a, there's an extra verse here too, but it's not about creation. It's not about creation. And Moses, in fact, spoke this about 40 years after Exodus 20. And you'll notice the difference here. Instead of referring to creation, Moses says, And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord thy God brought thee out thence through a mighty hand, and by a stretched out arm. Therefore the Lord thy God commanded thee to keep the Sabbath day. Well, look what word is here again. Here is the word remember again. Remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt. We also see here there was a progression here, a progression in time. First you had remember creation, and now we're having remember that I took you out of the land of Egypt. They are to remember here that God delivered them from Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt, slaves who had no day of rest, who worked every day for their masters, and they're to remember that the Lord came, he, he came and stretched out his arm and he brought them out of the land of slavery. They're to remember where they came from, who they were. That they were not only slaves to the Egyptians, but that they were also slaves to sin. Slaves who needed deliverance. And in remembering, in remembering on the Sabbath day, they are especially to remember the mighty works of God. How he provides a way of deliverance from sin. And that there's one coming who would defeat sin for them. And if you look through scripture, you look for this, this word remember, You'll see that the Jewish people and we too as Christians are continually called to remember, to look back over time, to remember who we were. But especially to remember the covenant faithfulness and the great works of our Lord. And when these Israelites looked back, yes, this did remind them of their, gener their generational sins. They saw their sins. They, they weeped because of their sins. But what if we look back at Scripture? What if we look back in, in our lives, dear child of God? If we have, in a sense, the right glasses on and we're looking at everything from a correct perspective, what really stands out if we remember? Is we see our sins. We grieve and mourn because of our sins. But what stands out is the abundant mercy of God. The abundant covenant faithfulness of God. And this is especially true to these Israelites as they remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. As they look back, they see God's abundant mercy to them. He did not forsake them. He always remembered them and was faithful to his covenant promises. And this remembering, remembering what the Lord has done in our lives, it's not a heavy task for the believer. We're reminded of his faithfulness, his patience, his mercy and his grace to us. It's a cause for rejoicing. And therefore, 
When we look at Nehemiah's day, we can understand why Nehemiah here is telling these people to rejoice. They've heard the law. They immediately begin weeping because of their sins. But it was not wrong of Nehemiah here to tell the people to stop weeping. It was right for him to tell them to celebrate because of the centuries of the Lord's faithfulness to them. And so, each Lord's Day, we too are called to remember, not to remember centuries, but to remember millenniums of the Lord's work and faithfulness to His people. We're called to remember who the Lord was, who He is, His divine person, His attributes, His great work of salvation in the world. great faithfulness to his people the lord has graciously given us a day every week it's a privilege it's a privilege to have the lord's day a day in which we can rest from our labors a day in which we can remember how great the lord is how wonderful are the works that he has done praising him this day Setting apart this day to praise Him for the salvation He's given us through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He graciously gives us one day to remember His faithfulness, to look back not only over our own life, but to look back through the history of redemption and praise Him for His amazing work in the life of sinners. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember this day. Remember to consecrate it to the Lord. That means making it holy. Yes, remember who we are. Remember from where we came. Remember to repent of our sins. But we must remember our great God, who He is, His power. His goodness, His mercifulness, His holiness, His righteousness, His justice, His sacrifice, His compassion, and His work of redemption. His care. Remember His care and great works of providence as well. And we begin this. We do this now. We're called to do this on each Lord's Day that the Lord gives us. But the day will come when we will be doing this forever. Forever remembering Him. As we're with Him, remembering what He has done. We will have an eternity of Sabbath to remember our infinite God. So here we see a people repentant of their sins. Who take a vow, a sincere vow to keep the Sabbath. But we will discover that these good intentions are soon swallowed up by neglectful yet sinful hearts. We'll see a people who went from promising to rest to a people who now are refusing to rest. And Nehemiah 13 verse 6 tells us that he has gone for an extended period of time. He's been gone for several years to Back to the king Artaxerxes in Babylon to back to his old post. And after several years, Nehemiah came back and he looked around Jerusalem and he discovered that much had changed. The temple was defiled. The people were marrying heathens and the Sabbath day was being desecrated. He found people working on the Sabbath Treading the wine presses, they're going out and stomping on the grapes and making wine. Harvesting grain and loading it along with other crops on donkeys and bringing it into Jerusalem to sell it. The people also allowed the merchants from Tyre, some of whom lived in the city, they allowed them to sell their fish and to sell their other goods in in Jerusalem. And Nehemiah was furious. He left the city, a city that was outwardly conformed to what they were supposed to be doing. And he comes back and he finds the slip back into old sin. 
He confronts the nobles, reminding them that they're, they're acting like their forefathers. They're bringing God's wrath on the city of Jerusalem. He then commanded the gates of Jerusalem to be shut on sunset on Friday and not opened until sunset on Saturday. We know as we look through that these merchants showed up for a while. They camped outside the city walls and they couldn't get in to sell, but they stayed out there. And Nehemiah is upset with them. He says, why do you lodge outside the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. And so the merchants didn't show up. And the Levites watch over the gates. They make sure that these gates aren't opened anymore on the Sabbath day. Now if we look at these people, I don't know how many years passed here. How many years between Nehemiah leaving and Nehemiah coming back. It could have been a few years. It could have been as many as 15 years. But what a difference between this first set of people who were celebrating the the Feast of Trumpets, who were making oaths to keep the Sabbath day, and those Nehemiah returns to. Nehemiah was only gone for a few years. This illustrates how quickly the Jews tired of keeping the Sabbath. How quickly they returned to their their evil days for living for themselves on the Sabbath. I think we can hear some of the things they might be saying even now. I need to work today. If I don't, I won't make enough money. I'd love to not work, but my children need to eat. I'd love to go to the temple, but I have to sell my crops to the merchants. I'm too busy with work the other days. This is my only day that I can go shopping. I'm not breaking the Sabbath. I'm just buying the necessities that I need. And very soon it becomes normal and the Sabbath looks no different than any other day. The busyness and the rush of the rest of the week overtakes the Sabbath as well. But actually it probably became a burden for these Jews to remember the Sabbath day. This day that started off as a day of celebration, a day of remembrance, a day of rest, had become a legalistic burden to this people. And so what did they do? They abandoned it to serve themselves. So we have to ask ourselves the question, is this what the Lord's day feels like to us? Is it a burden? Is it a a legalistic burden? Is it something that we endure each week? Is it a day that we need to, to get through before we can start living again? I think this is really how, how some of us feel. And why do we feel this way? Maybe you're even a believer. You love the Lord. You desire to serve Him. You desire to live your life for Him. But yet the Lord's day remains somewhat of a burden to you. Maybe you go to church to, to be fed. It seems like the sermons don't affect you as they once did. So you spend the day maybe serving yourself, thinking about the work week you just went through, the work week you're about to enter. You can't do physical work, but maybe you work with your mind. Perhaps we, you turn the day into a negative day, a, a day of don'ts. You think of the Lord's Day not as a positive day, but as a don't do this day or I can't do that day. You view it as a day of negatives. The opposite is, is actually true. The Lord's Day is, is a day of positives. It's a day of things we actually get to do. And if you look at the commandment, it actually doesn't begin even with a negative. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. A positive instruction. The Lord's day isn't so much a day, a burden. It isn't so much a day of restriction, but it's a day of opportunity. 
It's a privilege given us by the Lord. It's a day when we can lay aside our work, a day when we can lay aside our worry, our burden from the week, and and lay them before the Lord. It's a day in which we get the privilege of remembering who the Lord is, of meditating on Him, on all of His attributes, praising Him for His greatness. It's a day when we have the privilege to remember what the Lord has done, to remember His wonderful work of salvation in which He called us from darkness to light, to remember His wonderful works of providence in our lives in which He sovereignly cared for and orchestrated our lives. Today when we gather together with saints to collectively remember the Lord's goodness to us, It's a day when we individually and collectively confess our sins to the Lord, being reassured from His Word that if we are in Christ, we are forgiven, and that the Holy Spirit is changing us and preparing us for our eternal home. But what do we do? We often take this day of rest, this day of celebration, this this day of joy, this day of service, and we turn it into a burden. We make it a day of brooding, brooding about our existence, our circumstances. We make it into a day of inactivity. I wonder for how many of us the Lord's Day is not the best day of the week. We spend the Lord's Day often thinking about all the things we did wrong in the past week, all the mistakes we made. We think about how we're going to change that this this coming week. We're going to turn everything around. Or maybe we rest too much. We sleep away the entire day. And when we awake, our thoughts and actions are completely centered upon ourselves and upon the things of the world. And this brings us into a spirit of despondency on the best day of the week. The Lord gave us this day, the first day of the week, to remember from where we came. To remember, yes, that we fell in paradise. To remember that we are sinners. And He wants us to remember this awful truth about ourselves. He wants us to remember our devastating problem of sin. But he also gives us this day to remember the overriding solution, to remember that he is our great God, who not only created us and this world, but that if we're in Christ, he's redeemed us from sin and death, and he set us free. He's giving us this day to set aside the burdens and cares of our week and to come and remember Him, to come remember what He's done for us and what He's doing for you right now. Come, the Lord says, I've given you this day, I've given you this day to serve me, a day when you can be active in serving me and serving the church. Many of us come to church wanting to be fed. And this, this is a good thing. We want to hear the, the word of God. We want to be, be lifted up to praise him, to be comforted, to be fed from his word. And it's essential that we hear the preached word, that we come together in church. That we be fed. But the Lord calls us as Christians to grow in other ways as well. He calls us not only to receive, not only to receive, but also to give. He calls us to serve. And what better day to serve Him than on the Lord's Day? What better way to commemorate the Lord's Day by then taking the words that we're being fed by and and telling them to others? What better way to commemorate the Lord's Day than by witnessing to others of the gospel? What better way to commemorate the Lord's Day than than by caring for the sick and poor 
What better way to keep the Lord's Day holy than by teaching? Teaching neighborhood children, teaching at school, instructing your own children and, and, and catechizing them. Teaching in catechism classes or your own children at home. The Lord does not call us to inactivity on the Lord's Day, but to godly activity. A day in which we focus on honoring Him publicly and privately, delighting to frequent the church of God and hear His word, to use the sacraments, to together call on the name of the Lord, to serve our brothers and sisters in the faith. And to serve and evangelize those outside the faith. I think most of us are aware or have experienced at some level. How the Lord's day can become a day of do's and don'ts. Or we set up a series of rules to to govern the day. And this can easily become legalistic. Where the outward conforming to these rules is more important than our hearts. But we must also realize that having rules on the Lord's day is not wrong. We must recognize our own hearts that we're prone to backsliding. Therefore, leading a disciplined life on the Lord's day is is a great and not necessarily legalistic way to honor our Lord. This is why serving others, telling others the gospel, offering hospitality is, is a wonderful way to spend the Lord's day. But as you look over these things, these ways I've mentioned that we can serve on the Lord's day, one thing might come into our mind, this all sounds like work. I thought the Lord's Day was supposed to be a day of rest. Uh, I neglected to uh, read Lord's Day uh, 38. I'm going to do so now before I continue. Lord's Day 38, found on page 74 in the back of our Psalters. What doth God require in the fourth commandment? First, that the ministry of the gospel... And the schools be maintained, and that I, especially on the Sabbath, that is, on the day of rest, diligently frequent the church of God, to hear his word, to use the sacraments, publicly to call upon the Lord and contribute to the relief of the poor, as becomes a Christian. Secondly, that all the days of my life I cease from my evil works, and yield myself to the Lord, to work by his Holy Spirit in me, and thus begin in this life. The eternal Sabbath. So I've spoken about serving on the Lord's Day. About rejoicing and remembering on the Lord's Day. But isn't the, do- the Lord's Day a-, a day of rest? Aren't we also commanded to-, to rest? And yes, that's very true. The Lord's Day is a day of rest. He gave us six days to work. Work, we know, is not a curse, but a blessing. And the Lord graciously gives us six days to carry out our vocational training, our vocational calling. And then he gives us a day of rest. And yes, this rest refers to letting our bodies and minds rest from the labors of the week. The Lord's day is given to us to rest our sore and tired bodies. The rest spoken of here, it does include this, but it's much more than a mere physical rest. The Israelites were promised rest when they entered the promised land. If they obeyed the Lord, if they kept their covenant promises, they would be able to rest from their enemies. They would be given a place of rest and the land would have rest from war. But the Israelites never found this rest, did they? They were unable to keep the Mosaic Covenant. And therefore, they did not earn rest in the promised land. 
The Bible describes all creation searching for rest. Sin and the fall have brought us into turmoil and therefore we are all searching for rest, especially spiritual rest. This, of course, is only something that the Lord can provide. And it is this rest that the Lord offers to sinners. He even sets aside A day at the beginning of each week in which we can specifically come to him and rest. After all, it is Jesus who says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Our Lord calls us each Sunday to come to him. And to find rest. He calls us to bring all of our sins. All of our burdens. All of our worries. All our doubts and fears. Our tiredness. Our ill health. Our broken relationships. All of those things when we have time on Sunday to brood and think about. That bring us down. We're called to bring them to the Lord. To lay them at his feet. And find rest. In Him. He calls us to bring our poverty, our riches, our needs, our jobs, our businesses, our mortgages, our schooling. To come, lay them at His feet and find rest in Him. Each Lord's Day, the Lord invites us to remember Him. He invites us to rest in Him. He calls us to remember the past, to remember and meditate what he has done, and to believe that as he led and guided the saints of the path to their rest, so he will bring each one of his children, he will bring you, dear child of God, to your rest. And he calls you not only to remember the past, but he, he calls us to look forward to the future, to a future rest that he's reserved for all his people. This is an eternal rest when we will be with Christ in glory forever, a forever Sabbath, a, a forever Lord's Day. Today, we failed to perfectly remember the Sabbath. Today we failed to keep the Sabbath. Because of our unbelief, because of our sin, we still struggle to find rest. We still tr- struggle to find peace and joy in the Lord. Yes, it's there if you're a Christian. You do experience it. You do know what I'm talking about. But at times it seems that this rest is so fleeting. It seems that it's so far away. How we can be comforted knowing that a future, that a perfect rest is coming. Our sin, our our unbelief will no longer keep us from our rest, will no longer keep us from nearness to our Savior. For we will be near Him forever. Celebrating and, and remembering Him on that perfect forever Lord's Day in heaven. But before I close, I must warn that the Lord denies this rest to those who are not in Christ. The Lord swears, he swears an oath that there are those who will not enter his rest. For those who the Lord is angry with, who he's wroth with, he says, so I Swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Dear unbeliever, you at this point are under the wrath of God. And now on this Lord's day in his mercy, he comes to you. And he warns you. This is a warning, this is a gracious warning from the Lord
But he also brings a promise to you. He tells you that he offers his promise of rest to you. And warns you that you should fear lest you fail to reach it. The Lord comes to you today. You who have never remembered. You who have never truly rested in Jesus Christ. The Lord calls you on this Lord's day to do so. He calls you to remember who you are. To remember his covenant promises to you. He calls you to repent and rest today in him. To leave all of your sins at his feet. To leave all of your worries, fears, and doubts. And rest in him. Amen. Our faithful Lord in heaven, we thank thee, Lord, for thy word which we have heard today. We see thy mercifulness, thy abounding love, thy justice. Lord, thou art perfect and holy. We see thy gracious dealing with Jonah, with the sailors in the ship. We see thy graciousness to the people, the returned exiles in Judah. And so, Lord, we pray that all of us, none of us would not embrace thy promises. That we all would turn to thee and rest in thee and remember thee, lest... We be cast out into the eternal lake of fire. Let there be no hard hearts here. No hearts that are resisting thy Holy Spirit. O Lord, regenerate. Make awake lost sinners that are still here. And so help us to, to live for thee in this week perfectly. Remembering thee not only on the Lord's day, but throughout the week. Resting in thee. At all times. And we pray this all in Jesus name. Amen.